he goes and gets wings and throws them on the board. Now listen, man, this guy's breaking <laughs> barriers now. You're listening to Leafs Lunch with Julia Tusheri and Michael DeStefano on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. All right. Happy Friday, everyone. Leafs lunch on TSN 1050. Julia Tasheri and Mike DiStefano with you. No Leaf game tonight. It goes down tomorrow versus the Montreal Canadiens, and that'll work right into a back-to-back. They'll head to Chicago after that to play the Blackhawks for the second time uh, in the span of a week. And, and we've got a great show to tee it all up for you. Chris Johnston will join us, as he does on Friday for our lunch date. Jimmy Ralph, 105-130. Tessa Banan will hop on to join us. She's the host of the Habs on TSN. She she hosted their game last night when they actually beat the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, another game that, that ruined my parlay last night. Another day. Another <laughs> another blown up parlay. I find it like if you if you place a if you, if you just throw a little sprinkle on, on a parlay, it really keeps you engaged with all the hockey happening in that night. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, 1,000%. Like, that's why like I do like getting into the whole gambling aspect because it totally keeps you engaged. All you need is, like, a couple of bucks on something, and all of a sudden you care what's going on in that game. Like, legitimately, last night there was a couple games that you probably otherwise would not really care about, such as right. Carolina-Montreal or Winnipeg and, and Columbus. But if you took the Jets on the money line, you probably were pissed off knowing that, that you woke up this morning and saw, oh, what, they lost to Columbus? Right. See, other good teams, here's, other good teams lose too. Like we always talk about how Toronto, um, you know, how they lose games to, to bad teams. Look, Winnipeg, just as good a team as Toronto, they lost to Columbus last night. So that happens. It happens, yeah. people. It does, it does. And honestly, the only person who was kind of happy about that today was Jesse Pollock. He was like, well, you know, <laughs> Columbus is my favorite American team. They have Patrick Laine. D- oh, Patrick Laine scored. come on. Uh, yeah, I saw. I, so I he had a nice goal game. in that game. Yeah, really I was nice wondering goal. if that was from last night. He's 15 goals only this season. Like, I saw, Dude. I didn't see that game. I saw probably the same tweet that you saw of him scoring that absolute rip. And, and uh, I feel badly that I don't remember who in my scrollings across the interweb tweeted this, but it, it was the video of that goal, and it was how the heck does Patrick Laine only have 15 goals on the season when he can rip the puck like that? Like, he, he's got one of the most lethal shots in hockey. What is going on? You he's know missed some time, is? too, I guess. But No, no, no. I'll tell you what the problem is. Like, yeah, he's got one of the most lethal shots in hockey. He also has a thing called an on-off switch. And that guy keeps the switch off more than he keeps it on. And for yeah. games against Winnipeg, his former club, he turns it on. Because earlier this season, so he played, they played Winnipeg, what, uh, I guess twice this year. He had two goals last time they played him, and then he scored a beautiful goal again last night. He turns it on for the games he wants to. And he used to do that against Toronto, but he oh, was like, yeah. pretty invisible. Like, he was pretty invisible like this past weekend. Patty Line is such an enigma in the NHL. Like the, the guy got paid a lot of money to be in Columbus, and then you thought, okay, he's got Jonathan Goudreau's coming to Columbus now. Those guys should be able to help set each other up. Like Goudreau, you know, some nice passing, get the puck over the line, and he should have a big season. It really just hasn't been the case. It's it's the give a bleep meter is pretty low most most nights for that guy, it seems. Yeah, 34 points on the season, albeit in, in only 40 games played, but not exactly a number that you're looking for from a guy like that. Those are Max Domi's numbers. Those are Max Domi's. Oh, my Domi's. God. 
That is not what you need. That is not what you need. Uh, as mentioned off the top, Leafs don't play tonight. They had a day off yesterday, a full off day. So, so we'll hear from them following practice. Sounds like they're about to hit the ice right now. Matt Murray was getting some work in ahead of the full team on the ice. But David Alter just tweeted out kind of uh, something that we'll keep an eye on. He says that Leafs practice about to get underway. Uh, Samsonov apparently not present. So we'll continue to cr- track that situation uh, uh, through the duration of this show. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it's more of a situation like a Roberto Luongo thing where, you know, just little little. <laughs> David Alter's always on the case, you know, so he, he'd be fast on that update. We know, well, you would. It's like, we know oh, DA is fast. Yeah, nothing going on. That's like that's got to be our first question to to CJ. It's like, what's going on here? Like, is this more of a bathroom break situation, or we get some alarm bells here? I think he's there. So let's bring him in, Chris Johnson, TSN Hockey Insider. What's going on, CJ? How's your Friday? I'm doing great. I got the TSN Plus fired up here, watching Tigers round. So everything Ooh. everything's good. Has he shooting early in the morning? He his putting's been a bit off. He's one over, but he's he's actually just about at a hole in one. So he's it, there's. There's signs of life there, but he hasn't quite got it all put together just yet. Yesterday was pretty good. For him to finish a dash two and made, what did he make, four or five birdies last yesterday? So, yeah, I thought he was pretty good in round one. We'll see what he has in store for us in round two. Um, not sure how uh, if, if you have an update for us on this, I suppose. Um, but David Alter tweeting out that Yoli Samsonov wasn't present at practice at the start. And I'm wondering, is there reason to be concerned or... I'm hoping this could be more of a Roberto Luongo situation and maybe just a, a bathroom break ahead of practice here. <laughs> well, I've been locked in on my Tiger, so I, I wasn't even aware of that. But, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason to be too concerned. I mean, look, we, we, we've talked a lot about this. I mean, we know where the Leafs are at. Even if they were in a spot where they, they had to play Joseph Wall or Eric Schalger in some games, I, I don't know that it's really the end of the world, but I, you know, I haven't heard anything on Samsonov specifically. Um, you know, he obviously played uh, a couple days ago and the Leafs got a victory. So maybe it's more Luongo than uh, anything that requires big alarm bells and a big headline. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Our TSN hockey insider, Chris Johnston on the phone on this lovely Friday. And, and you guys had a great hit on insider training, la- trading last night, rather CJ, uh, Darren Dreger brought something kind of interesting. The blues are in cell mode and, and that became apparent last week, or maybe it was the week before when they, uh, pulled the trigger on the Tarasenko deal, but but now potentially some availability on their very attractive blue line, CJ? Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, a bit surprising, I'd say. I mean, it's one thing, of course, to focus on all their UFAs, and they have a, a bunch of those guys already traded Tarasenko, but, you know, have Ryan O'Reilly, Ivan Barbashev, uh, and, and a bunch of others. Um, you know, and, and so I think that they're looking to, to at least see if there's a market for anyone else. I mean, uh, lots of great players, but but the the problem is with a, a Colton Pareko or Nick Letty, um, you know even Tory Krug. The, all these guys have no trade clauses and, and they have fairly significant dollars attached to them. So you know we'll have to see what develops there in the marketplace. But uh, the Blues seem to be leaning into uh, you know it's funny their teams actually started winning a little bit here of late. But I think leaning into the idea of a refresh. Uh, and, and try to free up some some space moving forward because you know they do have some younger players signed and I think they're kind of looking to 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 change the way that the core of that team looks. I mean, essentially, we're we're, we're drawing the line from where they were, the team that won in 2019, the Stanley Cup, to, to where they're going to next. And so, um, you know, might be might be difficult contracts to move, but it, it, some fresh new uh, names out there to consider. 
Yeah, and, and this might be complete dream booking, which is a term that we learned yesterday from uh, from Jackie Redmond in the wrestling world. But Colton Pareko was the name that really stuck out to me right away when I heard that hit as a potential defenseman that could be of interest for Toronto. I mean, do you think that Kyle Dubas um, has checked in on that? Would they be checking in on that? Because he seemed to he would check a lot of the boxes for Toronto. He would. You know the box he doesn't check, though? It's seven more years on that contract beyond this one. I, I, you know, yeah. I, I have trouble imagining anyone, and this is no slight of Colton Pareko, but you know, there's huge risk when you're bringing someone new into your organization with that much at that age. You know, he's 30 years old. Um, you know, I, I think the Leafs have basically checked in on everyone. I mean, it, it, it does seem as though they've really cased the market. But, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that as the best fit. I mean, it, it does seem as though, you know, the, the a forward is probably the, the top of the order here. I, I'm not sure how you go about improving the defense uh, drastically um, with, with the price that's being asked for Gavrikov out of Columbus. It just doesn't seem like for a rental where the lease would be. Even McCabe in Chicago is, you know, got a high price. So, you know, I, I'm sure you make that call and, and, and the Leafs are abreast of what it would take. But, you know, I'm not sure that that's a, a perfect fit here for, for Toronto. Well, a name that's been garnering a lot of interest lately, uh, thanks to our outsider, Carlo Koliakovo, who dropped a little nugget earlier this week on the show that Patrick Kane might have interest in coming to Toronto. Uh, you wrote about it in the, in the Star this morning, CJ. What's complicating that whole situation so much? Well, I think that the most obvious thing is that Patrick Kane is, is not played as well as, as we're accustomed to this year. I think there's all kinds of reasons for that. It's probably a combination of factors, but you do worry and wonder about his health. Um, you know, on top of that, I just saw one of the reporters tweet out their lines for their game tonight in Ottawa. And, you know, he's, he's not surrounded by the best talent either. I mean, yeah. last year he was playing a lot with Strom and Debrinkit. Uh, you know, both of those players are now gone. Um, you know, and so that's probably been there. You can imagine, you know, playing as many big games as he has over the years. It must be difficult being on a team like this one. So, you know, that that's that's a factor. And I think the second part is I'm still not sure he wants to go play anywhere else, especially if it's not uh, New York for the Rangers. And, and, you know, that door is seemingly closed, you know, after they made the Tarasenko move. There's there's a world where they can make it work cap-wise, but I, I'm still not sure if it makes the most sense for them. And so, you know, I think we're down to an interesting couple of days here because, you know, my my understanding of the situation is that Patrick Kane will, will make some sort of decision in the next few days and then communicate that to – uh, management there in Chicago because you know if if he does want to be traded and if there are three teams you know that he can give you know spots he'd be willing to go to and it gives Kyle Davidson a chance to explore those options and then of course if if he decides he's not going to waive his no move clause you know at this point in time then you know the the Blackhawks can get on with other business so you know this is this is about to reach ahead um, you know for me just my opinion I don't I don't know that stylistically. This makes the most sense for the Leafs at this point in time. And with Patrick Kane's cap hit, it would probably basically be one of the only moves they could make. But the flip side of that is if he, he goes to, to management next week and says he wants to play in Toronto, I mean, obviously, if you're on the Leafs end of that, you've you got to listen and, and really look at it and consider it. But, um, you know, right now the, the cards are all in Patrick Kane's hands. And, you know, the, I think the biggest concern, honestly, is what he's got one assist in the last five games, you know, some – play parts of a couple of games this week in Montreal and Toronto and just doesn't look to be the same guy that he, he once was. And, and 
um, you know, I think that would give you pause for concern if you're if you only got one move to make at the deadline and, and you're thinking about making it on him. Uh, in conversation with Chris Johnson, our TSN hockey insider, um, like you talk about the salary cap and that being a big hurdle, and I think that's a big hurdle also with a guy like Eric Carlson. Like, which of these two players do you think are more likely to be dealt? There's been a lot of smoke on both of them, but there seem to be suitors, but also they are quite complicated deals due to the NHL's nature of the hard salary cap. Who most likely to be dealt? I, oh, I'd say Kane, and, and it's only because he's on an expiring deal. And if you actually look at the money on his, his contract, you know, it's, it's quite easy to move because most of it's been paid. And so he can be put through a third team, and I don't think it'll cost too much to do that. You know, Carlson, it's basically – as far as I know, it's, it's one team right now that's in the mix. It's, it's, it's Edmonton or not at, at this deadline. And, you know, the Oilers do have real interest, but, you know, there's, there's, there's clear hurdles there. So if I had to be handicapping it, I still say Kane is more likely. But I'm not ruling out Carlson, you know. One thing I, when I look at his situation specifically is, like, that was an untradeable contract the last two years, right? Yeah. And there's no guarantee. I mean, he's playing like Superman this year. He's on point, you know, pays for 110 points as a defenseman. I mean, this is, this is something you haven't seen since Paul Coffey days, and then before that it's basically Bobby Orr. I mean, this is, this is a special season he's having. There's obviously huge, a lot on the line for Edmonton. And so if you're San Jose, you have to, you have to reckon with the, the possibility he might not be tradable again for a few years. You know, if he's merely average next year, if he's injured next year, I mean, we're back to that being an unmovable deal. If you're Eric Carlson, sure, it'd be nice to maybe think that this offseason there's going to be more options. Maybe you're choosing between a couple places to waive your no movement clause. But again, no guarantee that happens. But I think if you're the Oilers, you know, what and, and and I say again, this with no disrespect, but you know, last year at the deadline, they're trading for Brett Kulak. You know, if, if this year at the deadline, what are they going to be in the in the mix for Gavrikov or Joel Edmondson? I mean, to me, they they got one chance here to make a real seismic addition in season. So, you know, as long as the window is open, and I believe it still is on those conversations, you know, never say never. How do you make that work though? If you're Edmonton, like I, I know that San Jose's got to eat some money, but. Um, Kenny Holland came out like a week or so ago and said, "Is dollar in, dollar out?" Like they don't really have a lot of money that can go outward either. Like I think, didn't I read that in order to to bring in Kyler Yamamoto, they may even have to just flat out waive Puyarvi just because of their cap situation? Uh, yeah, I mean, right now it looks like they're going to send two guys to the HL today um, that are waiver exempt, and so they're not waiving Puyarvi at this point to, to activate Yamamoto and. You know, Edmonton is in a difficult cap bind, but look, if you're if you're trading for Eric Carlson, I think it's fair to assume Tyson Berry would be part of the package going the other way just because there's so much overlap in their, their roles and what would be asked of them. So, you know, that clears off some space. You know, I would think someone like Fuliarvi or Fogel is going out the door either in that, that same deal for Carlson or in a, a deal, you know, attached to it. And then you need San Jose to retain somewhere probably above 30% of the contract. You probably need to get Carlson to some, at, at best, a $7.5 million player. You know, and Edmonton could probably fit that in. It's a lot to ask. It's not easy, and I think that that's where things are stalled. You know, the last I heard, San Jose hasn't been willing to go above 20% in terms of retaining salary on, on Carlson, and I just I don't think Edmonton can make that work. But, you know, let's see if, if we get closer to the deadline 
um, you know, how things progress and if maybe the sharks start to considering eating more of the deal, because I, I, there is a way to make it work. It's, it's not going to be easy, but you know, I, it still doesn't mean it's not worthwhile because, you know, I do think this guy has the potential to, you know, turn the Edmonton into a team we haven't seen before. I mean, that they already have four of the top scorers in the league because Hyman and Nugent Hopkins are having great years uh, production-wise in addition to McDavid and Dreisaitl. And, you know, you could add Carlson, who's a top-five scorer in the league, too. You could have five of the top 15 scorers in the league on one team. Um, you know, it'd be pretty intriguing to see how that might translate come playoff time. Yeah, it's a scary thought for sure with our uh, TSN Hockey Insider Chris Johnston right now. What's a team that has you interested right now, CJ, whether it's a buyer or a seller ahead of the deadline, a team that's maybe flying under the radar and that will have uh, have a major or an impact of sorts on, on the way this deadline shakes out? Well, Nashville's probably the one to have our eyes on now. You know, Pierre Lebrun had an item on them on insider trading and, you know, subsequent to us taping that last night, they went and got beat pretty handily by the Boston Bruins. And, you know, they have a couple games this weekend. And I, I really believe by Monday, if, if those games don't go in their favor, that, you know, we're going to be talking about them selling parts. Um, you know, it's not so much whether there will be a buyer or seller. I think the question is, do they become an aggressive seller? And, you know, that, that would obviously flood the marketplace with, you know, some, some interesting names, more intriguing players would, would give teams – um, some other options here, um, you know, because it has been kind of an established market. You know, we have teams like Chicago and St. Louis, you know, Arizona, you know, selling a lot of their players. But, but you know, I, I think that the Predators could, could kind of shake things up, you know, if, if they have a tough weekend and, and you know, don't get points and, and you know, has puts David Poyle in a seller's mindset. You know, on the buyer's end of things, I'm kind of curious what Winnipeg does. I feel like they're – lying in the weeds a bit, you know, they've had such a great season and they have cap space. And, you know, I think that there's, there's low key motivation there or, or an internal push to see what they can make the, the best of this season. Cause they have some contractual decisions coming up and, you know, players like Blake Wheeler getting beyond their, their, their window here where they're likely to be impactful players. And so I think the jets could give us a surprise. And, and I think the predators potentially could uh, be selling some pretty intriguing players come uh, March 3rd. Tanner Janot becomes an interesting name, I think, for for Maple Leaf fans. Like he would be the type of guy where the cap would work. He brings a heavy game, and last year, you know, he put up a bunch of goals. You think Nashville would even be willing to go that deep and, and part with, you know, someone who's relatively young like him? I think they would. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm not sure they're there today, but you know, it, it sounds like the the mindset is is almost pretty much no one's untouchable if, if they get to that seller's point. Um, you know, they have some no trade clauses and like that will get in the way and they have some big contracts on their top players. So maybe that will make them ultimately not, not, you know, get a lot of action. But I think, Juno would be popular, not just with the Leafs, but a lot of teams that, that have ambition to play in the playoffs this year. And, and, you know, he, he's out of a contract after the season. He's a restricted free agent. Um, you know, his, his point totals are, are way down this year from where they were last year, but, he hits like a truck, and he's, you know, he, again, he, he's pretty young, and, and he's still team-controlled. And so if you're giving up a first-round pick, it you know, might make sense for someone like that, um, you know, just because of the fact that, that it's not a, a pure rental and it's the sort of guy that wouldn't necessarily be available in normal circumstances. So, yeah, I mean, we have to keep our eyes out there. They're not in full-scale cell mode just yet, but let's, let's uh, regroup after the weekend and see where they're at. 
Yeah, if you think that Leafs need grit, he'd definitely be an interesting character. Uh, okay, I'm not I'm not going to ask you about Jacob Chikrin and about if, if anything is close there because I just simply refuse because it doesn't sound like anything <laughs> is and I've been asking for two You're years. I simply refuse, CJ. But has the move to elect to send him out for trade-related reasons and then Gavrikov, um, the same decision ultimately coming about Gavrikov in, in Columbus. Has that like ruffled any feathers around the NHL? How do agents feel about this? Uh, what's the vibe check on this train-related reasons scratch thing? Well, I've definitely talked to multiple people that, that don't like the idea of it, and it's not just those directly affected by it per se, but just maybe the precedent it sets. You know, we've, we've seen lots of times in the past where where players have been held out, but usually they're traded the next day or yeah, know, not three weeks in advance. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's usually done when basically a trade is, is imminent and, and yeah. it's, it's just to be sure at the end. I mean, in this case now, you've already had Chikrin miss three games. Gavrikov's missed two. As of yesterday, I haven't heard anything new today, but, um, you know, nothing was close. And so it appears that they could miss, you know, several more. And in fact, if one or both of them sit out until right at the deadline, it ends up being three weeks at their sideline. So, you know, from a practical standpoint, it's difficult to mandate that this is that this can't happen because ultimately teams make decisions every game on who sits and who doesn't, and, and they do it for all kinds of different reasons: health, you know, the, an idea that a coach likes something better than another. So I think it's it's a hard thing to regulate. But it, you know, if we get a situation where one or both of these guys it sits out for weeks, I do think it's going to at least be a conversation that's picked up at the GM level and maybe ultimately as part of collective bargaining. I mean, we're, we're not fully there yet, but I'll, I'll say this. It's definitely perked up the radar of a few people uh, around the sport. And, you know, you can understand why the teams want to protect their assets, but, you know, from the player standpoint, it's, it's a difficult situation too. Uh, sitting out, you know, one, wondering every day what's going on. And then, you know, let's imagine what happens if these guys sit out and, and one or both of them are traded. I mean, that, I'm not predicting that, but I'm just saying that could still happen. It's just sort of a strange situation. And it's, it's, I'd say it's a new wrinkle that, that these guys are being sat out with, with nothing very, very close or imminent in either situation. I mean, that's, that's, that's a new one. And so we'll, we'll monitor and see where it goes. Well, I think it's also interesting. Like what if these guys don't get dealt until like March 3rd, like on deadline day, that's basically three weeks that these players have been sat out. That's three weeks where they're not in game action. Like, how long will it take for them to get up to game speed with their new teams? And you would want them to get up and running quickly. Like, I'd imagine that this also, I don't know, it's just a really weird situation if, if this really prolongs till the deadline day exactly. Right, and, and look, it's disruptive enough to be in the situation of these, these guys where their name's so prominently out there and, there's rumors flying. They're probably hearing all sorts of different teams themselves. And then to, to just be sitting there not playing, like, like there's not a lot of distraction now, right? I mean, you're out of the normal routine. Um, look, it's not ideal, but there's nothing ideal about the life of being a pro athlete when you're, when you're in the situation where you're likely to be traded. I mean, every hit we do, right, we're, we're, we're speculating on people's futures. So it's, um, you know, it's a, just a difficult time of year, and I think this is just an extra layer of, complication that's been added to the process. 
Yeah, interesting. Okay, speaking of, of agent perspectives, you flagged a, a tweet this morning from player agent Alan Walsh, who's very notably um, a real player's agent, really advocates for his guys. This is his tweet this morning after the Flames lost 5-2 to two to Detroit, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. He tweets, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Also... Negativity sucks the joy out of players. CC, he went for the full tag, no subtweeting here, at Calgary Flames. Um, and, and notably, in, in case listeners aren't aware, he's, he's Jonathan Huberto's agent. So your thoughts on Alan Walsh's comments this morning? Well, we've, we, we, we've seen this movie before, right? I mean, it's yeah. not quite as dramatic as the, the picture of Marc-Andre Fleury with the sword yeah. in his back, you know, from his <laughs> days in Vegas. But, you know, there's that situation and a number of others. And, and look, this is, this is something Alan has been known to do. I don't believe he ever sends out tweets like that or a photo like the one he did of Flurry without his clients knowing ahead of time that he's going to do it. And so I think it's, it's, it's not nothing. I mean, let's, it's been a tough season for Jonathan Huberto since going to Calgary. It's been a tough year for the Flames, a lot of ups and downs and inconsistencies as a team. Uh, we are two weeks out from the deadline and, but Huberto signed through 2030, 2031. And so I think what it does is it, it tells us sort of certainly what there's a lot of been strong industry whispers that all is not right behind the scenes with the flames. I, I don't know that there's, you know, complete unity between management and coaching staff and the players that, you know, I think it's been a hard year that, you know, kind of culturally for that team. And, uh, you know, I don't know that this directly prompts any changes because I don't think you'd want to do that, but it's certainly going to prompt some hard discussions. I would, I would think behind the scenes and um, you know, obviously Alan's doing what he think is best, best for his client. Uh, and you know, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch for us to read into that, that the fit between Daryl Sutter and, and Jonathan Huberto hasn't gone so well so far. Yeah. What a weird fall from grace. And I, I, don't know, I guess you think back to it last year, like, Kachuk really was like a, a the identity of what that team was. Like they were hard to play against. He embodied what Daryl Sutter wanted out of a player, and, and you know what he thought you needed to find success. Johnny Huberto doesn't necessarily bring that, and not to say that like a lot of people kind of said, "I wonder how that's going to work out." But I think even even he would say that it's it's been a little bit more of a difficult transition than he thought it would be because I, I didn't think that it would be this poor. He's got like. Well, like 10, 11 goals or something like that on the year? Like that's, that's not what you expect of a guy who put up 115 points a year ago. Exactly. And, and look, it's, it's hard to go to a new team. He spent a long time in Florida. You know, I, I, I'm, I think it's far too soon to draw any conclusions. I mean, it's fair to say that contract looks like it could be a problem for Calgary because this has not gone well. But, you know, there's still many years to, to salvage things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not been the fit that everyone was hoping for initially. And that's, that's what they got to work through now. I mean, they're, they're, they're in the equivalent of a long-term marriage professionally speaking here. And so they have to find a way to, to, to make it work for both sides. And, and, you know, this is an inflection point a little bit when you have your agent, I didn't tweet that. I mean, obviously behind the scenes, again, there's going to be a lot of conversation. It's going to stir up the media. It draws a lot of attention to that situation. And now it's about how they, they find their way forward because Huberto stuck with Calgary for a long time and uh, Calgary stuck with him. 
Yeah, I'm a big Daryl Sutter fan, but I don't know if I see him attending marriage counseling. So it'll be interesting to see how that all <laughs> kind of shakes out. Okay, more of an yeah. American story, CJ. <laughs> but before we let you go, uh, this is kind of flying under the radar, but it's it's interesting. This whole the NHL released a statement uh, about RSN and Bali Sports and their their bankruptcy situation, and and they own the regional rights for a whole slew of the teams down in the United States. Um, and the way that this could potentially be interesting for Leaf fans specifically is is because it could potentially affect the salary cap and how it might raise or, or not raise in, in the next couple of years. Can, can you maybe walk us through uh, how these two things go relate? Well, I mean, look, regional television broadcast rights that each team sells are, is good business for the teams. That, that falls under the, the definition of hockey-related revenue. So, you know, it, it goes directly to league revenues. And, you know, with all these regional sports networks, in, in danger of potentially folding, of not making payments to teams or making full payments, you know, there's there's a scenario if this doesn't go well that that um, you know the teams are going to lose out on on a key source of revenue, and you know this affects NBA teams, MLB teams, and and NHL teams. It's not it's not just a hockey only issue, um, but you know it, it seems rather serious. I, I don't know how it's going to fall. You know the the league has has kind of not said too much to this point. But it's definitely worth monitoring because, you know, if we get into a scenario where, where teams aren't getting paid what they're supposed to be for showing the games or even having a place to show the games, I think, you know, the problem is twofold, right? It's, it's direct financial right now. They might not get paid what they're supposed to get paid. But, you know, what happens is the teams don't have anywhere to, to put the games on. Um, you know, that, that would be kind of a strange circumstance in today's day and age. So. Uh, this is this is uh, something to monitor. I don't, I don't have any hot takes or predictions on where it's headed, but uh, you know it certainly could impact you know the the cap next season and beyond. You know because you know might be a lot of teams looking now to to sell regional TV rights if if the RSN won't honor its contracts. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see how that all unfolds. Uh, appreciate the chat as always, CJ. Uh, enjoy your weekend, and we'll chat again next week. Two Fridays from the trade deadline. Crazy. Yep. And then you earned yourself a few days off and uh, for the phone to be tucked away somewhere in a dark place for a few days. You, you'll have earned that by then. I appreciate it. But I was just thinking, like, next week's our last hit where we have to try to figure out what the Leafs are doing. By, by two Fridays <laughs> from now, we're going to have a, we're gonna know one way or the other. That's true. That's true. We will. We'll know, or hopefully we'll have a good idea by that point uh, what's what's going on. Uh, have a good weekend, pal. We'll chat again next week. All right. See you guys. All right. There he goes. Chris Johnson, our TSN Hockey Insider. Um, yeah, this this bankruptcy story is kind of wild. Like, so 12 NHL teams are a part of the Bally Sports Network, I think like Florida, Tampa, Carolina. Um, so like, there's a couple of really good, like, good teams that you want to be televised, and I think it was yesterday. I want to say they skipped out February 15th. Um, Bally Sports skipped about a 140 million dollar payment that they were Oof. supposed to. So there's uh, a 30 day grace period. I think they have to make up that payment before bankruptcy becomes a, a thing. And yeah, that's like 12. NHL teams, the regional broadcast rights, if this company goes into bankruptcy, that certainly is going to have impact on what happens. It's 12 of 32 teams. Like, 
Yeah, that's, that's and it won't just be portion. hockey either. I was reading, uh, I think Joe no, Giannassi put out a piece. They own like four, 42 teams, yes. regional rights, when it goes to the other pro sports league. So it won't just be hockey that it has an effect on, but of course hockey has the has the major salary gap, so it'll probably have the most direct effect on, on that yeah. situation. I think I'm looking here, 14 MLB teams. And with the Major League Baseball season literally starting up right now, like right. that's going to be interesting to see how that kind of plays out if, if they go belly up. Um, the NBA has 16 teams in the NHL, 12 teams. So that's definitely something to uh, to monitor here over the next couple of weeks in in the more you know sports business realm. But that's how you know, look, money, cash is king, right? At the end of the day, and and if there's no cash coming into the league, that's certainly going to have impact on the salary cap. So we'll see exactly what type of impact that will have, and people in Toronto will certainly have a lot of intrigue just based on. You know, the impending contracts on Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, having more space would make it way more feasible to get those guys locked up long term. So it's it's certainly something that is more of an American story, but it certainly has impact in markets like Toronto and and such. Uh, All right. Coming up on the other side, we're going to take a look at a little bit of a power ranking of you know, the assets that the Maple Leafs have, and then we're going to assign a ranking as to how comfortable we would be with trading out those type of assets. So that's coming up on the other side. Jimmy Ralph, uh, color man for uh, Leafs on TSN 1050, he will join us at 105. And then Tessa Benham will join us at 130, help tee up tomorrow's Montreal-Toronto game here in Toronto. I'm Mike DiStefano with Judith Tashiri. This is an Leafs launch here on TSN 1050. Now, back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Smell ratings. Rate of play, rate of play, rate of play, rate of play, rate of play. It's rated four diamonds. Very efficient, very highly rated international. Lease Busters will get you out of your car lease today. It's as easy as pie, a piece of cake, avoid penalties, and early termination fees. Visit LeaseBusters.com as we welcome you back to Leaf's Lunch on TSN 1050. Julie Tashari and Mike DiStefano. Jimmy Ralph will join us at 1 o'clock. We'll talk about the Leafs back-to-back this weekend. Tessa Benham, too, will join us. Our Habs on TSN host. Leafs have... The Habs, Saturday night. But for now, A.B., ahead of the March 3rd trade deadline that is looming and looming and coming quicker and quicker, we're going to take a look at some of the Leafs' assets, what they have to offer for for potential suitors who they might be wanting to trade for. Yeah, so I I think the Leafs do have, like, quite a few assets. Like, there's... There's been a lot of discourse about like, oh, they don't have anything to give up. I I, I think they have like quite a bit of of good pieces if they did want to get into, you know, the higher echelon market of like the the Timo Meyer, the you know, let's say Chikrin, or maybe even a Golden Pareko who's yeah. Name so is who now are those guys, AB? Who are those? Who are those top tier guys that the Leafs would need to give up some of these top assets for? So Timo Meyer, yes. Yeah. Um, who else are you thinking? Like, like who else? Who else would the Leafs give these things up that we're about to talk about for? So like sentence? I would consider, I you know I would, right? So I would consider Timo Meyer to be like probably yeah. up, up if not the top guy, like right up there. 
Um, Cole Pareko is now an interesting name. If he is out on the market, he is an interesting name to me, a player with term. He's exactly what they need, like 6'6", 230-pound physical in front of the net. Um, he'll, you know, kill your penalties. He'll murder guys. So I, I think I that he that. puts him in kind of in that same realm where you'd be willing to give up some pretty top-tier pieces to go out and get him. I don't know how many other players are really on that. Like, Chickern probably would also be there as, like, an elite player with some term where you would give up a top-tier player. So for me, that, that would include, you know, like a Matthew Nyes, uh, a Rasmus Sandin, draft, like first-round draft picks. Those are the types of guys you're thinking about in that aspect. So here, here are what I think the Maple Leafs have in terms of assets, okay? I think Matthew and I is clearly their top asset. That's yeah. the number one player that if you're calling and you want an elite player, they're going to ask for Matthew and I. So you got to decide if you want to give that up or not, right? That's going to be the, what we're going to do in this segment is decide how willing we would be to give that up and what we would need to get back. Um, so he's one player. Rasmus Sandin would probably be the second best asset that the Leafs have to offer, in my opinion. You know, he's a roster player, so you're giving up a roster guy. So you've got to get something big in return. That, to me, would be if you're looking to get a defenseman, right, someone's got to go out the door. And I think Sandin is a young enough player that would be attractive to teams. He's had that uh, in, you know, integral growth throughout the season. Um, I think he could be attractive for, for some teams looking to get a little bit younger if they're shipping out some blue liners. The least first-round pick. Um, what are you willing to give up when it comes to giving up a first-round pick? Are you willing to do that for a rental? Uh, does it need to be a guy with term? Like this is what I think Kyle Dubis is wrestling with. Is it worth giving that up for the Gavrikov, a player you need, or a Ryan O'Reilly? Then you get into more of your B-level prospects. I think like those are your top-tier assets. And then after that, you've got Topi Niemela, who I think is a good B-level prospect for the Maple Leafs. You know, kind of a young right-shot finished defenseman. Um, Fraser Minton, who's a friend of the show, by the way, chatted oh, with him. Yeah. Uh, nice Leafs guy. Media Day. He's having a really good season in the dub, so he's probably kind of in that next tier also of guys where if Nyes is off the table, they're going to ask you about Minton uh, and how much would you be willing to move on from him. And there's a couple of like roster players on the team. We brought up Sandine, but he's more of a younger guy. But there's some pending UFAs that the Maple Leafs have too where you wonder if those guys could be in play. I'm thinking of Justin Hall, Alex Kerfoot, Pierre Engvall. Like all three of these guys could be involved in deals if you need to move out some salary or some roster players going out the door when you're bringing guys in. So uh, I think those are probably the names that I expect to be in play for the Maple Leafs or the big names, I suppose, to be in play for the Maple Leafs um, at the trade deadline in the next couple of weeks. Okay, love it. Should we give them... Should we start assigning numbers? Yeah, so the way uh, the way that we're going to do this, so we've, we've talked about the players we're going to decide. Um, we're going to assign a number to each of these and how comfortable we are with trading this asset. So the way that our tier system is going to work, so if we give them a 1, that would mean that we are fully comfortable with moving up from this player, and a 1 would represent like a cap dump. Like, yes, I'd be willing to put this player in, in a deal, to make the numbers work so that the cap could work. Like, uh, you know, for example, yeah. are you willing to throw in a Kerfoot for the cap? Dump? Like, do you put him in that market for you? Would that be a player who would kind of make sense as a one to you? Uh, yes. 
Just, just try, straight up. <laughs> I feel mean saying that, but are, are we moving past? Like, I, I just feel with each day, and I think I said this earlier, like in, in the past couple of weeks, that that Kerfoot seems to feel like a bit like a placeholder in the spot he's holding on that second line on the left side, and it's either like. Yeah, like I, I, I've been feeling for for the past little bit, like Kerfoot's kind of on his way out. Like I, I'm feeling, if somebody's got to go for cap dump reasons, I, I think Kerfoot is the most obvious one, more so than those two guys. Yeah. yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Like maybe Hall, if you are getting another right shot defenseman in return, like yeah. that's that that's the only way where I think I would assign both of guy those guys uh, a one rating. Um, but everybody else, I think, is is a little higher up. So why don't we look at some of the top topper tier players? I suppose mm, Matthew Nyes. Matthew Nyes is the number one guy that people want to talk about. How comfortable would you be in trading Matthew Nyes? What number would you assign to him? What return would you need to get back to be comfortable moving on from a Matthew Nyes? Uh, he's for sure a four or five territory kind of guy. I, I feel like I'm leaning more towards five, and, and I think that if I was Kyle Dubas wearing my Kyle glasses the way that I was on Tuesday, I, I would definitely say a five. He, he said that he doesn't want to do anything rental-wise, especially with, with Nyes or, or that first. Um, it becomes interesting when you think like, oh, is this a rental that could turn into someone that you well, resign? I, I, I am curious though. Like we know what what Kyle Dubas said, but we've also talked about how this is a an, an all in move. So ah, you're right. Like, so would you be willing to do that? Like, I know Kyle said what Kyle said, but if you if it was GM Julia and you had a chance to get Ryan O'Reilly and they said it's Matthew Nizer bust, are you making that trade? I probably would make that trade, yeah. Uh, um, especially just with, like, it's not like Matthew Nyes' numbers in the NCAA are earth-shattering. Like, he's a great player. He's two, playing with two of the other best players in the league. Like, there's a lot yeah. helping him right now. It's been noted that his skating needs work, and that's that's hideable at the NCAA level. That is not... You can't camouflage that in the NHL. Like, that's going to be a glaring thing for him in the NHL. It's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts. Right now he's getting by because he's – sorry, getting by is the wrong thing to say. He's excelling at a very high level in the NCAA because he's bigger than everybody and he's stronger than everybody, and, and that just is not going to be the case in, in the NHL. So I, I think it gets lost on us sometimes that literally everyone who is in the NHL played on the top line or – in the top pairing or in the top four or at least in the top six on whatever team they came from, from whatever feeder league they came from. Like, the, only the cream, cream, cream of the crop winds up in the NHL. And, yeah, yeah. Matthew Nyes is the cream of the crop in the NCAA right now, but there's a lot working in his favor. Um, I don't know. We might be overblowing this this prospect. Maybe a little bit of a touch. I'm sure he's going to be a productive NHL player, but I, I, I think in a year like this year, that is a deal I would make, A.B., so you roll it. So you'd be comfortable getting an elite rental. That would elite. be what that's that's what we've given the four rating to. If you're a four out of five, it's an elite rental is what we've given that to. And, and honestly, I, I I think I would have to be five on that though. Like myself, yeah. I do think uh, the only player that I think I'd be at a five at where I I would need to get a elite player with term. And even if that means adding to that, like, sure, like like a Colton Pareko or, you know, Timo Meyer, like there is technically term there, you would have to give up Matthew Nyes. And that's the only player I think I would. I, I wouldn't do one-for-one Nyes for, one for, for, uh, for Ryan O'Reilly just, just because of the rental aspect. And, 
you know, if, if you don't win at all, it really does not look look good if that's the case. So I, I'd put a five rating on it. I think we only have time for one more. We actually uh, we'll mix in some, uh, like maybe we will just like sprinkle some in here and there. Yeah, we could do that. But I'm curious, uh, the first round pick, your comfort level with trading a first round pick. That one's a hard five for me, AB. That one is elite player really? with term, I, I believe, yeah. So you assign more value to the first-round pick than to Matthew Nice. I, I'm really into this draft. I'm, I'm extremely into this draft. Yeah, like, it's not that I, I, know, I feel like I sound like I'm 20s? dumping on Matthew Nice right now. Well, where, where was he picked? What, what, what's his? Well, Nice was a late pick. He was like yeah. 50s. He was in the 50s, 52nd, I think. Somewhere We've in heard round 58. so much about how deep this draft is once you get into the 20s. And like, I, 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 yeah, I feel strongly about that, I think. Honestly, <laughs> I'm a three on the first round pick. Really? Ah, uh, Even in this draft that like is, is being pegged as historic yeah. and one of the strongest in years. Yeah, but I think like you're talking. It's going to go down in history. Yeah, yeah, the, the like the top five though, and the Leafs aren't going to be in no, that realm. Yeah, that's fair. It you know is what I mean? Pretty like, deep draft though, into the teens and even into those early twenties. It might sure. like looks a lot better than other years. But we're talking that those guys aren't going to help you for like four or five years, realistically. Yeah, right? like I, like I, that's that's why I think I would probably uh, like like three and a half. It depends on who that. So the way that we have this is like three is considered a middle six rental, four is considered an elite rental, like. If if you had to pay up, let's say Ivan Barbashev gets into that bidding war and you had to give up your first-round pick, a late first-round pick for Ivan Barbashev, I think I would be comfortable to – I wouldn't love it. I'll tell you that. I would not love it. But if it works out, like I think I'd be comfortable making that pick Yeah. as a middle-six rental. But uh, maybe we could sprinkle a little bit more of this let's throughout the show. There are some uh, – Updates from practice. We can get to those on the other side. Jim Ralph also to join us at 105, as will Tessa Banum, Habs on TSN host, will help tee up tomorrow night's game, Leafs and Montreal. I'm Mike DiStefano with Julia Tichero. Listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. This is Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Vanilla Visa prepaid cards available for purchase at Petro Canada. The perfect gift for any occasion for your chance to win a $100 Vanilla Visa prepaid card. Text the keyword LUNCH and your name to 105050. Standard text message rates apply. I have to call myself out. Somehow I said the Habs beat the Canadians or the Habs meet the, beat the Hurricanes last night. Not the case. Other way around. My morning scroll uh, failed me today, I suppose. <laughs> But, you know, it did not fail us. TSN Trade Bait Board 2.0 came out today, AB, mm-hmm. ahead of the uh, March 3rd trade deadline. And I'm just in the midst of pulling it up right now. Why was I surprised to see? Like, it's almost like I have personal beef with Jacob Chikrin at this point. So Timo Meyer at number one is it's not really a surprise. Definitely, like, the youngest, probably most impactful player yeah. Um, especially up front, available ahead of the deadline. Jacob Chikrin at number two, which is almost surprising to me at this point. It's almost like we at TSN are doing a sales job. Like, please, we don't want to talk about this anymore. Someone, he's on our bait board very high. Take him. <laughs> I don't know. He's going to get dealt. Like, there's no way that they could put him back into that lineup after just being like, yeah, we're going to sit you out until we trade you. And then 
you're you're not going to trade him. Like I, I I just I don't see it happening for one. Um, like someone's going to pay up and they're finally going to going to meet the price. I did find the interesting thing about Chikrin was it, it sounds like they're not willing to take on any salary though. Like and and I don't really quite understand why that would be the case. Like it, most teams are dollar in dollar out in the National Hockey League, especially teams who are competing and need a player like Jacob Chikrin. So I'm I'm a little surprised they're not willing to take on any amount of salary outside of players on an entry level contract or a prospect or of course they want picks for it. To me that kind of limits what uh you know what they want. Like if you're Toronto and you want to bring in a Jacob Chikrin, something's got to go out the door. Whether that's a Justin Hall or an Alex Kerfoot, like one of those players that we talked about in the segment prior and automatically if they're not willing to do that, I mean, you're just simply deleting suitors like for chicken yeah. by not not taking on any amount of salary do you think that there's and a part of this is like a poker game as we know ahead of the trade deadline like are buyers just kind of waiting for some of these prices to fall do you think like oh yeah what's That's... your sense I, i'm feeling like it's more of a buyer's market oh for sure like they can wait this out absolutely they can wait this out like Jacob Chikrin, he's a, he's out there. Gavrikov is out there. Carlson is out there. Like there's there's a lot of different defensemen that that could be had. Now Colton Pareko's kind of entered the fold. Like you know, there's there's some really good players that that are available. And even from the forward market, like you got Meyer, and if you miss out on Meyer, that's okay. I'll go get Ryan O'Reilly or Ivan Barbashev. Tyler Bertuzzi's a new name who's popped up here high up on the trade yeah. board at number seven. Detroit's uh, Tyler Bertuzzi's got. Uh, you know, he's having a pretty good year. He's a UFA, I mean, so I, I think that Tyler Bertuzzi would be an interesting name also, like if Toronto might be checking in on there. Like, that's a top six guy who's got a little bit of a bite to him. That's an interesting name, I think, that Toronto might be, uh, you know, keeping tabs on out yeah. there. So, yeah, I definitely think it is a buyer's market. And the closer you wait to um, March 3rd and, and the more that these teams who have these assets that are pending UFAs, I mean, you got to get something for them. So the closer you get to the 3 p.m. deadline, I guess the more willing you are going to be to part with them before it just becomes an expired asset. Like, the Maple Leafs have been there many times over the courses of, of their year where they just let guys walk through free agency, where in the past, like, ah, maybe they should have got something for them. Um, a lot of these teams don't want to be in that camp come July 1st where, you know, if they let, let's say, uh, Gavrikov walk because they don't take a con or they don't take the best deal out there. If no one meets that first, third, and fourth, I'm sure they're not going to sit there and say, you know what, nope, we're going to hang tight. We're going to try and negotiate, and if he walks, he walks. No, Columbus, they're going to take the best offer come 3 p.m. on March 3rd at the deadline, and uh, it's, it's, that's always how it happens. The prices come down as we get closer to, to March 3rd, and I expect for that to be the case this season as well. All right, uh, on the other side, we'll be joined by Jim Ralph will join us, uh, as will Tessa Benum at 1.30. I'm Mike DiStefano with Julia Tascheri, second hour of Leafs Lunch, coming up next.